Cultivated Marketer, Episode 27, Kim Clark, DEIB in Communications. Today, we talk with Kim Clark, renowned DEIB communication consultant and educator, about the effect our language has on behavior and outcomes within organizations. Hear how Kim breaks down conversation and demonstrates how the language we use matters. Welcome to Cultivated Marketer, where we talk marketing professional development so your garden of opportunity grows. This is Brent Bowen. And I'm Matt Tidwell. There's Matt. Good to hear Matt's <laughs> voice and to, to see him tonight. So we had this wonderful conversation with Kim Clark about DEI. Yeah. So what was your, what was your, I mean, it was chock full of just mm. so many insights. And yeah. I, I know, we, I know we discussed her model with her. We discussed maturation of applying that model within an organization. Yeah. What was your kind of takeaways from, from that? Well, first of all, yeah, absolutely. First of all, I was just really glad to get Kim on with us. She's kind of been making the rounds lately. She's on, she's, she's really traveling around the country. She's got a, a new book with a unique title that will, the listeners will hear you uh, <laughs> mention in a couple different ways. <laughs> when we get to the episode, we'll leave that as a cliffhanger. But so she's an author. She's a, obviously a speaker. She's a teacher. She does a lot of, she's actually been a college professor for quite some time, but yeah, you're right, Brent. Her, her sweet spot is DEIB and, and I can't think of anybody better for us to really dig into that topic with on the show than, than Kim. Um, I had heard Kim at World Conference this year in Toronto, IBC World Conference, and she had a, a, a very full packed session rousing attendance and, and it was, uh, it was great, but yeah, we covered a lot of territory with her and, you know, it's always interesting to me. When I, I love just kind of digging into this topic because it, there's, I always learn something, right? And we spent a lot of time, to, even just simple things, right? I mean, we talked a lot about inclusive language, which mm -hmm. is is so important, and, and so many of us, you know, don't think about the language we use in our everyday everyday communication. But a lot of that language has maybe historical background, things like that, that really should cause us to pause and think about it. And so, I, I really enjoyed that part of the conversation. I, I don't know what your thoughts were there, but I, I'm glad we got into that. I, I did as well. I, I think the exploration and the conversation that we had around language being the precursor to behavior change. Yeah. And you know, you hear the, the adage or the expression talking the talk and walking the walk, but to me, it's the notion of talking the talk in order to walk. Ooh. Right. And it's that, that was the impression. And that was kind of a, a light bulb moment for me around the impact and effect we can have as communicators to really drive behavior change through the language we use. And, and it's, you know, it ended up reminding me of you had had that workshop for your students and she ended up dissecting essentially a, an email and then walked through that same exercise yeah. with us and the conversation. And it, it makes you extremely mindful of the, the, the language choices we make and the, the effect that that has on people. Right. Or, or lack of effect it can have on people because we use you, we use certain vernacular that people from other cultures or with different backgrounds may not even understand or appreciate. So it, it's exclusive, you know, in the, the way it's used. So having that conversation and it, digging deep into that conversation was really cool to do it with her live as opposed to just, you know, hear, hearing it as part of a classroom setting. Yeah, for sure. And, and and we also talk about some great tools, right? She's developed a model that she uses with clients and, and companies, organizations, a lot of academic institutions that she's worked with. Yeah. So just to, again, I, I'm glad we, it was sort of hard to get that all in one episode, but I'm kind of glad we did because everything wrapped up nicely there at the end. And, but, but we probably would have had enough to make that a two-parter, right? As, as, as we've done in the past. Yeah, she was ex extremely gracious with her, with her time and gave us some extra time. And I, I think the model, too, as we were exploring the the model, I think my key insight in that and in what she was sharing with us was that the notion of within the model is this is not one size fits all for every organization. Yeah, I think that was the 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 key takeaway for me. There is it's not the models an approach. 
it's not a cookie cutter. And she kept talking about outcomes, right? And that every outcome can be different depending on the organization. It has to fit within the culture. And I think that makes the way she approaches and talks about her model and the outcomes in that way makes DEIB so much more accessible when you think about implementing it and the change effect that has to take place within an organization. Yeah, a lot of times it feels like a daunting challenge to for organizations to take DEI uh, to, to really grasp it and 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 give it you know maximum effort. But she really does a good job through her model and just some of the other things we talked about, kind of breaking it down, making it actionable, keeping it outcome based. To your point, yeah, I know I'll never look at an email the same way again after, and I'll be much more careful with how I craft my email because you know, like 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 you and a lot of us, right? I was a corporate animal for years, and we get so ingrained in corporate speak and. And frankly, a lot of the corporate speak phrases that we use would, would not pass muster in her inclusive language test. And, and we kind of talk about some of those in the episode. So don't want to steal thunder there. But no, it was a, a great conversation. So glad that we got an opportunity to get Kim in. And, and I know folks will want to go check out her book. And, and just also, she's, she's really everywhere online. If you're in the communications realm with the work she's doing at IBC and all the other big organizations in our business, it can be hard to miss her because I can guarantee you she'll be on the speaker circuit for quite a while. She's that good. Yeah, she, she was amazing to talk to. For sure. Well, we had the opportunity to learn a few things from Kim in our conversation with her. I know there are some things locally that are going on too, where marketing and communication professionals here in the Midwest have an opportunity to to learn and participate in some different discussions on some some different topics. I know we've got one that's gone from high touch with DEIB probably to something that's a little bit more high tech. I know there's some things going on locally with KCIBC on the high tech space. Yeah, I just checked the the website on this to see if there was a date. It doesn't look like there is now. So as we record this, you know, in kind of right at the tail end of August there, you might want to check. But I know coming up very early this fall, IBC is going to bring back a speaker they had at KCIBC at their, let's talk about all the time, their business communicator summit that they had last year or earlier this year. And that's Dan Barker. Dan's a, a local guy and an AI expert. And so he spoke at BCS on AI and marketing, and I know that will be his topic again. And it was probably the most talked about session. But big shock, right? You go to a, you were just talking about go to a conference and, and and AI is on the schedule. I'm looking at agendas, and like half the sessions these days are AI related, but for good reason, obviously. But Dan does a great job making it real, kind of explaining it for communicators to understand. So I'm excited about that coming up for KCIABC. And and how about on the uh, social media club docket? What's what's kind of so I, I know in the so rock chalk for those who are Jayhawks on on the social media club docket, there's no meeting in September because of Labor Day and generally social media club will do a, a first Friday's breakfast and and that would be September first. So there would be there's no September event, but in October, the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, hmm. is actually going to be at the Strang downtown Overland Park, the Strang Hall, they have an event space there, and he's going to be talking around his career journey. And and we'll actually, I believe we'll be doing a book signing, but that would be Friday, October 6th is that event, their breakfast event for Social Media Club. Excellent. Excellent. Some good stuff coming up. Yeah. Some amazing stuff coming up. And as Matt mentioned with Kim, we're going to have a link in the show notes to her book and some of the other tools that she mentioned in the conversation. So if that's of interest to you, you don't, don't feel like you have to scramble and take notes, just go to the show notes and you'll be able to find links to, to her book, as well as some of the other public tools that she has available to you. And with that, we're going to get out of the way and let you get into that conversation with Kim Clark. Welcome to Cultivated Marketer, where we talk marketing professional development so your garden of opportunity grows. This is Brent Bowen. And I'm Matt Tidwell. And our guest today is a diversity, equity, and inclusion educator and consultant. She has focused her career on messaging audiences and how communications shapes people's experiences. Her career spans documentary filmmaking. I wish we could explore a little bit of that today. I have a couple, <laughs> couple interested parties at my house that would love to talk documentary <laughs> filmmaking, but unfortunately, we'll have to set that aside for a different time. 
Her career has spanned the filmmaking and leading global internal communications teams, maybe a little more apropos for today's conversation. And she is also co-author of the number one Amazon bestseller, The Conscious Communicator, The Fine Art of Not Saying Stupid, isn't it? So Yeah, we can be family friendly here. That's fine, Brett. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In one of my other shows, I might actually just say that. Matt would, Matt would know that, the Not Safe for Work show. She is known for her ability to facilitate sensitive conversations, yet urgent in their manner and meaning, and generate meaningful progress in creating inclusive workplaces. We're thrilled to chat more with her about those topics now. Kim Clark, welcome to the show. It's really an honor to be here. Thank you both for having me so excited to talk with you just around the whole DEI and even it may even help folks with DEIB or DEIAB, but the, <laughs> I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm actually as part of a nonprofit went through some DEIAB and it's, it's often just level setting that as part of the conversation around the acronym and what each of those mean. And, and you might help with that, but the place I wanted to start was I was reading a little bit before our conversation that it looks like 80% of corporations have some sort of policy initiative underway. So I feel like many communicators have at least received some sort of form of cursory training in DEI concepts, right? Once they go through that experience, so everything I've read seems to be they struggle with the after the awareness portion of that. Mm -hmm. So the big question I have is what now? What do you recommend is a good place to start beyond awareness? And I'm, I'm thinking change model in my head all the way from, mm-hmm. I'm going to generalize change model here, but from awareness to understanding, to buy-in and commitment, where, where's the next best place for communicators to start? Well, there's a couple of things I'd like to, to offer. This is a great question. I've never been asked this question. Thank you so much for asking this question. And part of it is, although you mentioned the 80% have gone through, you know, some level of of awareness and have a a DEI strategy of some form, there's a Harvard Business Review study that was done prior to COVID and the global pandemic that talked about the 94 to 98% of the organizations, global global organizations with a thousand or more uh, employees in 14 different countries that were studied in this research who have DEI strategies, they asked the employees in those organizations, how have these DEI strategies impacted your day-to-day? How has it improved your day-to-day? And 75% of those employees that responded in the research said, doesn't make a dang difference. It makes no difference whatsoever. So there's this beautiful branding, there's beautiful photography and, you know, maybe some confetti canyons, cannons at a, you know, at a town hall or something, (laughs) but it's not actually improving the day-to-day life of our employees. So I point to that to say, just because we have something written, it doesn't mean that it's actually making any kind of a difference. So awareness, I would say there is that initial beginning stage of awareness. And in some organizations, we're still in the awareness at a deeper level, at a more meaningful level. This is where the communicators come in. Because I'm a strong believer that DEI efforts in any organization cannot be successful without communicators truly understanding what DEI actually is. We have been unintentionally performative and, and very elementary in our understanding and experience in telling the story around DEI. So that has left the awareness not making that deeper shift into understanding. That's why I say I think we're still in, in awareness. We just need to go deeper in understanding of what the awareness is because we have not told a compelling enough vision and story that is all-inclusive of every employee to see their role and see how it, this work will benefit themselves. We have not done a good enough job with that yet. So we actually need to click into a level two of awareness to truly tell the accurate story of, of how DEI benefits everyone when we do it right. And we need to be telling that story from a place of outcomes and not activities. Then we can get to understanding. <laughs> 
Boy, I, I love that, Kim. You know, it, it certainly so rings true, right? And we have to be so careful. I think to all my corporate, back to my corporate days of, you know, you can slip into program of the month kind of mentality pretty darn quickly. And it just seemed to me, uh, now I've been out of corporate for a while, but certainly in, in early days of, of DEI, it, it had that feel to it, which I think to your point, just isn't very impactful. So that's great. And by the way, let me add my welcome. It's great to see you again. I think the last time we, we saw each other, we were in we were at IBC's Terrific World Conference in Toronto, and we had, as I recall, we had a, a long kind of walk through the streets of Toronto to get to our dining round. Long that was our dining round. Brent's a dining round veteran; he knows what that's all about. But anyway, Kim, we had an inordinate <laughs> transit time. Let's put it that way. So we had lots of time to yeah. catch <laughs> yes. up on, uh, on on Kim and, and and congratulations on the book and, and everything. Thank you. Yeah, at least at least you're walking in Toronto, which is, <laughs> as I recall, is a lovely walk. So, oh, beautiful city, long, lovely. Yeah, was, I really, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed Toronto. Yes, it was on my bucket list, and so to be able to to not only get to be there and actually experience Toronto, but I got to be a part of the IEBC World Conference and be with my people and geek out on this work and provide a breakout session specifically on how to position organizations on social topics. It was an incredible experience. And Matt, I look forward to seeing you again next year. Sure. <laughs> we'll have to make sure to, to, to get on the same dinner well, Brent's a regular there as well. So yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do that. And, and don't sell yourself short. I heard so many great things about your session and I know it was a full room. But I want to talk a second about the book. So first of all, congratulations on it. And I, I will talk a little bit more. I actually used it in a class that I taught this summer and it was just a fantastic learning tool. And there's a lot that the book has so many great things in it and, and, and about it. But one of, the, one of the things that you you kind of build the book around is a model that you call the depth model, D-E-P-T-H. And you use that to help communicators and leaders answer kind of the why, the what, the when, the how of planning and messaging, delivering DEI, social justice communications, things like that. Can you talk a little bit about the model just so that, because I think it is a terrific tool and something consu- uh, uh, communicators could use. How did you come up with that? What's it all about? So my co-author and I, she has the external comms and executive communication speechwriting experience, and I bring in the internal comms experience. And between the two of us, we had been working with executives and organizations on this work for a number of years. So we took our work and interviewed each other. And one of the strengths of my co-author, Janet M. Stovall, is that she can, she can build models. She can think in those kinds of systemic, systematic ways. And so she's like, we need a framework. And so it's built on these five pillars, but it's combined work of what we've been doing with clients and organizations, whether they're in-house or as consultants for a number of years. And it's based on D-E-P-T-H. So D is deliberate, being deliberate in our messaging. So it's, it, that's the solve around a lot of our DEI commitment statements are quite vague. It has all the flower, like I ran an, an experiment in ChatGPT. You saw this in my, in my talk at IEBC. I ran an experiment in ChatGPT and I put in, write a company diversity statement. And in less than 30 seconds, I had five or six paragraphs of the kind of language that I commonly see in DEI commitment statements, annual reports that I review for clients. And in less than 30 seconds, it created this. Now, I know that our organizations and our comms people who have written these DEI commitment statements where ChatGPT is pulling this content <laughs> from the internet, it's out there enough that that was its answer, right? That for them in writing those commitment statements, it took, you know, nine months, 27 rewrites and, and a lot of frustration, right? And unfortunately, what we do is that we end up saying things that make us feel really good. But there's no teeth. There's no action behind it. It's, it's not deliberate. It, it's, it's like, you know, we got to check the box kind of thing. So D is deliberate. E is educated. So oftentimes, the impetus for me to write the book and re- reach out to Janet Stovall to co-author this book was the summer of 2020 after, after the murder of George Floyd. And I saw the black boxes going up on social media, making these mm-hmm. statements of solidarity. And I started freaking out and reaching out to my clients saying, please run it by me before you put this out because you don't know what you're saying. <laughs> you know, if you, it, it seems easy and quick that you're responding to white text on a black box. And then so many of them started to sound like each other. And it was keeping up with the Joneses again. And they were not 
They were not educated enough to understand what was trying to be expressed during those within those global protests and demonstrations. So to say this and then write a check, and then there have been reports since the summer of 2020 reporting on how what the percentage of those who committed certain amount of money to organizations as a result of the summer of 2020 and how how few actually have followed through with those commitments. So there's been a kind of a dismal report card of follow through, which is exactly what my concern was when it was happening. So we need to have historical and social context. We need to be educated and understand what are we talking about? What is the context? What is, what is the need here? And co-create this messaging with the, the audience we're talking about. We can no longer you know, put together Pride Month and just, you know, send out shirts that say love is love and think that's going to make mean anything or protect me as a gay woman as I walk around in public. No, no, it's not. So we have to be educated of why is there a Pride Month in the first place? Why is there a Black History Month in the first place? What is that? What is that demand? We've got a lot of supply, but what is that demand? And we're missing the demand part. So P Depth, D-E-P-T-H-P is purposeful. So a lot of our activities, because we haven't shifted to outcomes in most organizations, a lot of our activities around DEI are not anchored into the business. Now, Brent, Matt, you've seen the headlines of layoffs, the tremendous amount of layoffs over the last year of DEI positions. And that, and, and there was such a huge influx of hiring DEI positions starting in the summer of 2020, right? But if those positions were not understood as outcomes and not anchored to the business's purpose, mission, vision, values, then it would seem to be not only performative, but something you could cut from the budget if things got rough. We've got tested with that over the last year, and that has proven to be true that so many of these roles have been cut. And then, you know, it's so, so there hasn't been a deeper understanding of how DEI is solutions, it's outcomes. It's not the problem to be solved. It's actually the catalyst to solve your business problems. So there's a lot of, you know, paradigm shifts around understanding and telling that story of what DEI actually is. It has to happen, but it has to be tied. It has to be purposeful. T is tailored. So if you think of, you know, those big, you know, sweats that you wear, like the big, you know, sweatshirt, the the baggy sweats that you wear on Saturday morning, like that's kind of the one size fits all that we see a lot of messaging out there, kind of the copycat kind of messaging out there around International Women's Day or whatever it may be. Tailoring is that permission. It's my favorite part of the model. T is tailored. It is that, you know, think of yourself in a tailored suit. Or, you know, if you ever had a tailored shirt, how it fits to you. No one else can wear it. It's tailored to you. So nobody can wear it like you. No, no one can fit in it like you. So tailored is this permission that organizations need to realize that they have, that they don't have to do all the things, but they have to do their thing. That's what we're asking organizations to do. You don't have, so there's a lot of inertia. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of caution saying, you know, well, we can't say something about everything. And, and I say, well, why not from an internal standpoint, external is a different strategy that, you know, we, so we need to be more broad and there are ways that we can do this internally to support our employees and have their backs during different, you know, situations. However, externally, we have to be very tailored to our core capabilities of what we do as an organization. Nobody else can do better than us. No one can touch us on this. And in the book, Janet tells a story around UPS and the vaccinations. So there was a a committee that came together and said, what is our role in this? Janet led that conversation. What can we do to participate? Now they're a transportation company. They can get the vaccines out. Like they can get it into neighborhoods and rural areas and they can get it accessible. That is core to what they can do. Now, it also transcends any of the narrative, the rhetoric around vaccinations, 
the COVID, all that kind of stuff, but they are tying it to their core capability and saying, this is what we can do that has a meaningful impact, right? So it's a strong story for comms people as well. And then H is that habitual. So we are not just talking about gay people in June. <laughs> you know, it's, we are not recording this in June and I'm still gay. Matt. So um, <laughs> newsflash. So having that consistency and setting up those proof points. So we are not just doing it when it's flavor of the month or a disability awareness days or whatever it may be that we are consistent. And we are also recognizing intersectional topics and identities and storytelling. So that's the model. And to your point, it is here to be not only something that you can use in a crisis situation, but it is there to help communicators and marketing departments and legal and HR be proactive, own that space. Because I, I just did a, a, a webinar for my clients talking about how communicators are caught in the culture war. And I, had, and I shared three themes that I am seeing going on. And the very first one I talked about is that we are vulnerable because we've allowed a void. We've allowed rhetoric and other points of view on the outside of our organizations to, to take over the conversation. And there's employee division in our organizations now. That's because we didn't have the depth, not to play on the words of the model, but the depth of the conversation that I was speaking to earlier, we were just too surface level and we didn't own our position because we haven't ha we haven't taken the time to have those introspective, meaningful conversations at the highest levels in a cross-functional way, like I mentioned, HR, legal, marketing, comms, and, and the C-suite to say, this is our piece. This is what we can do. And this is, you know, that's the external standpoint. So if there's a, there's a lot of room given what the core capabilities of an organization is. But first and foremost, the depth model is very clear that it gives organizations permission to let go of that paradigm that they have to do all the things and have to have something to say externally about everything. And we're saying, no, don't do all the things because you're actually ending up not doing anything. Yeah. And so what we want you to do is to do your thing. Yeah. Well, I just, I love the model and I think you're right. It's a, it's a great blueprint. It's kind of how I look at it for an organization that, you know, it's the kinds of things that you need to have in your mindset if you're truly going to have effective DEIB policies and things like that. So, and just overall mm -hmm. program. So I think it's, I think it's great. And I'm glad you mentioned the, I, I was just listening, IBC is getting ready to do some work with, or we're exploring doing some work with USC and they do their terrific, uh, the Annenberg School does a really tremendous annual report. And one of the big conclusions of that report is just how communicate. You mentioned stuck in the middle of the culture wars and having to try to negotiate that. So I, I, I'm just so excited to read that. But anyway, just a quick aside. Well, you actually, this was great because I was going to ask you about the, what are the kind of the barriers for communicators and communications organizations to adopt, you know, kind of adapting a, a, a solid D, but you really mm -hmm. covered all those because they're really in the model, right? Do, do the model, don't not do they the model. are. It releases all those. Yeah. Yeah. It really gets you through the obstacles yep. and, and the, and the, the inertia, the resistance, the hesitancy, it works with the momentum of the organization. It's trying, it, we're not asking organizations to be something that they're not. Right. It's taking the strength of the organizations to be as, just do their, just do their part. That's all. Because collectively, once everybody's doing their part, then we'll take care of all the things. That's how it and works. And try to be something you're not. And some of that speaks to tailored and things like mm -hmm. that. No, I love that. Absolutely. But I promised that I was going to mention to you that I, I did use your book a bit in my class this summer. And it's kind of the, what spurred my idea was you had done a, a session with IAB's education SIG, special interest group, oh, maybe a couple of months before World Conference. And one mm -hmm. of the lively mm -hmm. exchanges that we had in that was you do such a terrific job around this aspect of what is effective, inclusive communication. Right. And you ran that group through an exercise where I think we looked at a, a typical corporate speak email and all of the various, yep. you know, kinds of G. Uh, there's there like we had blacklisted in there. I think we had grandfathered in there. Grandfathered. And, and so mm -hmm. I decided to share mm -hmm. with that with my, my class who are young professionals. Right. 
things like powwow were in there interesting too and, and i thought you know this might really <laughs> resonate with my 24 year olds who are working professionals taking their master's degree and boy did it because i threw that out on a discussion board and just asked people to hey go through your last three or four corporate communications at your organizations and put on discussion board examples and i was just blown away there were all sorts of <laughs> i'll have to share that with you because you would love it and and not just that'd be super interesting not just the verbal examples, which I thought they might come up with because we've all seen those on websites that are poorly mm -hmm. done and things like that, but just the way they would dig into emails mm -hmm. and really start pulling them apart, kind of like you did. with. So I, I guess I, there's not really a question in there other than to say, I do know that you advocate organizations doing something called an inclusive communications guide. Some people may not be aware yes. of what that is, but it really, that's that's what takes that concept and kind of embodies it. And so maybe if you could talk just a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple points I'd like to make here. One, there have been inclusive language guides, especially in the university system, for a long time. And so if you were to Google inclusive language guide, you would get a lot of universities saying, here's our inclusive language guide. They're typically glossaries that say, you know, there's glossaries and then there's like, say this, but don't say this, like around gender neutral, you know, language, for example. Now, the, the inclusive communications guide that I customize to each client I work with goes way beyond that because one of my my personal pillars for the work that my firm does is language leads to behavior. So I'm giving you a context of why this is important and how it benefits you. I'm also putting it into the context of this is not tone policing. This is not political correctness because that has a very external yep like rules and regulations vibe to it. Like you have to say it this way and somebody else is making you do something. That's not what we're trying to do here. We're working with you, with where you are, how much have you been exposed to, how much do you understand and taking that desire to want to respectfully communicate with other people who are different from you, especially. So we're giving you those tools. How many people have we run into saying, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to say the wrong thing, you know, and they end up saying nothing or, <laughs> you know, it's just like a weird vibe in the meeting room. Right. And, you know, if there's a multiple racial diversity in a room or something, it's like, oh, I can't say anything or men with women, you know, you know, worried about that whole relationship using language. And so this just builds your confidence. It gives you it gives you guidance. And it becomes a social agreement for two particular reasons. One, just talking to each other as colleagues. So the inclusive communications guide is that intrinsic inside out, whereas political correctness is more of that outside in. We're just wanting to take your desire to say the right thing and to respectfully address your colleagues or customers, you know, using the tools and giving you what you need, those resources and that, that, that support. So there's the just how we are talking to our clients to our 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 customers to our colleagues you know i want to make sure that this person who is a wheelchair user that i'm using the right language to address them at least initially until they self-identify right and some people will self-identify and some people won't so how do i respectfully address this population this, this group of customers you know, these colleagues, etc. So there's that social agreement of like, this is how we're going to talk to each other, you know, because we're tying it to our company value of respect or whatever it may be. It's tied to your company values and it's tied to your DEI strategy. And your DEI strategy is tied to your business strategy, right? So we need to be working together and building trust within each other. Language is all about connection. The whole point of language and communication is for connection. So that's, that's one social agreement. The next agreement is with the marketing, sales, product documentation, obviously communications. Anyone who's content creators with, for an organization, whether it's internal or external, visual or copy, that, this is your accountability buddy <laughs> where you can go and check it out because it's not just formulaic of like, here is everything and it's not exhaustive. It's not possible. But what you can do, and I offer this kind of checklist or facilitator to have conversations that people can ask these questions, like they may be running into terms according to their specific industry or department, and they don't know the answer. Often. And so they can go to the guide and just ask these questions and as a group, 
And it needs to be a group that has diverse perspectives and backgrounds and experiences to inform the discussion to end up saying, yes, this is a great way of using the word. Like, here's an example. I was working with Sony PlayStation, and I put together an inclusive communications guide for them, which ended up across the rest of the Sony properties because they liked it so much. So that was really cool. And when we were creating that for Sony PlayStation, one of the questions came up saying, okay, well, you know, obviously there's Sony recordings. And so we were talking about masters. Is master, when it comes to recordings and duplicates, is that an okay term to be using? Because in real estate, if they're a real estate company, you know, using master bedroom, that has a problematic history to it. We're not going to use master bedroom, right? But in master, when it comes to duplication of recordings, I said, does it demean anybody? Does it have any kind of a problematic, you know, especially a racist history? No, it doesn't, right? So what, but what a master recording or master CD does is it creates equal duplicates. So it's not demeaning a person or an identity or a people. It doesn't have a problematic history and it's replicating equals. So that's just one example of like, we can wordsmith, but there's always going to be some words that come up according to your department or industry that may be specific. But this inclusive communications guide gives you the questions to have those conversations. And that builds, that builds trust, that builds a learning environment. And we want that because, I mean, we did not have these kind of conversations prior to 2020. Let's be honest. And if we had any role models at all, to have these kinds of conversations, especially for people who look like me, I'm a white woman, then, you know, they were terrible role models, <laughs> you know, like what not to do, or there was none. So we really lack positive role models on how to have these conversations in the workplace. So this is a brand new skill, you know, moving forward and how we communicate with each other and an inclusive, a custom inclusive communications guide can really facilitate that momentum and to your earlier point, Brent, going from awareness to understanding and leveraging language and is a unifying factor. Yeah, I love I love this idea of the detailed behaviors that could be exhibited and the use of language to change change behavior. And I want to bring us back up to one of the one of the words you've used a couple different times is this notion of outcomes. That this is really mm-hmm. about not not just walking this path and trying to exhibit or demonstrate certain things, but actually achieving outcomes. And the thing I was struggling with too when you talked earlier when you talked about DEI being some of the first roles on the as part of reductions when things got tough here in the economic climate, the le- climate in the last year is you know the ROI of this. Right. And how often are you, you know, when you were talking about the depth model and tailored, how often are you asked to explain the ROI of DEI? And, it, or, you know, in the tailored, in the begin- this, yeah, UPS was a great example. Is there an, another kind of example of that tailoring that has shown or demonstrated an ROI? Well, in the beginning, I was asked more about ROI. And what we were understanding from that question was, okay. Some DEI practitioners say, I'm not going to give you the business case. If you can't figure it out by now, I don't know what to tell you. You know, like I just, I can't work with you if you don't even understand the business case of DEI. Because DEI is already happening. It is just completely uncontrolled. It is not intentional. It is not strategic. And it's inequitable, which is what we're trying to solve for. So it's already happening. It's, it's, it already is a part of the fabric of our culture but it's not with the intentionality of it being equitable, inclusive, diverse. That's where the intentionality comes in because people will think, well, you know, this, this should already be happening. It was like, you're right, it should. But <laughs> unconscious bias, a lack of awareness and understanding of, you know, social and historical context, you know, history, it's not. We have all the data that's necessary. So, Part of it is that I have, I have some compassion for leaders because they did not get to the C-suite because they're awesome at DEI. Like, it was never part of their performance review as they moved up the ladder, right? And it was never asked of them. It was, it was never a part of the conversation. 
So here they are in the summer of 2020, and everyone's going in turning their heads to the CEO saying, say something. And here's this guy who's like, ah, but he's got to look strong. You know, he has to be a leader. People are expecting this stuff from him. He's in over in his head, but he can't show weakness. And so it ends up coming out quite performative, especially if he has comms people around him who also don't understand the social and historical context of what they're commenting on. So it causes more harm than good. So just from an ROI standpoint, from a communication standpoint, I want you to do a little exercise as communicators and marketers is what's the cost? I actually commissioned somebody to do research on this so I can have hard data compiled. So if we do another conversation, I can provide it for you, but she's working on it right now. But literally the cost of your reputation that you've built up for 25 years and in two seconds, you know, you had a Bud Light situation, right? And look at the sale, you know, look at Bud Light. So there is a measurement that looks at reputation damage, attrition, loss of sales, lawsuits, lack of attracting new talent. There is an index, a cost index that the financial folks have taken into account. And it demonstrates pretty significantly and obviously that the cost of not leaning in on DEI for your organization far outweighs the investment in it. And it's not just the hard costs and the talent, you know, that should be enough unto itself. But there's the brand reputation, which influences your customers, which influences, you know, your attraction and and retention of employees. Now, I'm sure you're both very intimately familiar with the Edelman Trust Barometer, right? And every year they demonstrate in the 60% percentile and above, 63 and 69% saying that employees and customers are expecting their businesses and organizations that they work for and that they spend money with to speak up and have aligned values around social topics. So the expectation is there, especially as we see Gen Z. So ROI shows up in different ways for different departments and different organizations, depending on what what your measurement is. But the risk, I said this to an insurance industry conference this year, you're in the business of risk analysis. And I can, I can, we can lay out the model to show you that it's far riskier to not mm. have a position on DEI than it is to have a position on DEI. But the understanding is just the opposite. I don't want to be caught in the middle of this culture war. You know, that was one of the comments and quotes from the Bud Light CEO, for example. We didn't mean to get into, you know, a space that was a, a you know, a, a divisive space. And it's like, that's not what we're talking about here. So as communicators, we really have to understand that we're, we keep talking about apples when the conversation is actually oranges. So we have to be very listen-oriented to understand what is actually being asked of us as organizations so we can communicate on the same plane, on the same level. And so we're, we keep thinking that we want things differently. And if we just said these things and let the news cycle run out, then we'll be able to, to, but that's not controlling the narrative that is required of us today. It's very reactionary. Yes, we have to evolve and own our narrative proactively. And that's what the depth model offers organizations. So you, when, when the conversation is actually oranges, you can actually talk oranges. And stop talking apples. <laughs> Which is the I, I really appreciate. <laughs> I really appreciate you covering both the top line and bottom line component of that from both the consumer model of it, you know, and Gen Z, as well as I remember when I worked in financial services and we would talk to the attorneys and they said every time I have to answer an email about a potential lawsuit, it immediately costs the organization ten thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And we magically have money for that, Brent. And that's what's confusing to me is that we, we have money for litigation mm-hmm. and legal's not going to give up that. They're not going to give up that budget. But could we work with legal as communicators to be proactive in prevention and proactive strategy 
around DEI so we can use that money in legal differently than being reactionary, trying to handle collateral damage and, and brand reputation, you know, all crisis comms. We can actually get ahead of this, like what Target went mm. through. There was, there was no reason for them to go through what they went through if they had the right people around the table and the decision makers listened to those people around the table or were in those positions of decision making themselves. Like, you know, I'm, what I'm doing right now, I know you can't see on audio, but I'm licking my, my finger and holding it up to test the wind. Like, I could have told you <laughs> what was going to happen with that display in the South and, and in other locations as well in the United States. And they had an opportunity to, even through all of that, when they sent out that communication saying that we, we, we still stand with the LGBTQ plus community, we're also going to protect our employees from harassment and vandalization and all that kind of stuff. What they should have done in that moment was say, wow, we just experienced what the day in the life is for someone who is part mm -hmm. of the LGBTQ plus community. We go through harassment. We go through bodily vandalism, mm -hmm. right? They have lived the experience at a very like minimal level compared to people who are transgender, people of color, for example. You know, the level of, you know, the murder rate of trans women of color, for example, is completely unacceptable. So they could have used that moment as education to say, this is the daily experience of the very community we're trying to support. So we're doubling down and it's not just about merchandise, you know, so they could have used that opportunity. And so it's that level of awareness and helping people understand that there is an impact to our communications that is not, not being utilized right now. That's great. I love that. I love that story, Kim, for sure. And I know we, we want to be respectful of your time. And this has just been exactly what, what we were looking for and, and why I wanted to, to, to try to get you on our show as quickly as we, as we could. I'm glad we could put it together. But maybe we'll just close with what have you found? What's, what's encouraging you? What's on the horizon? Or what are you seeing now that's encouraging you about the state of DEI and communications practices? Or if nothing is encouraging you, it's fine to say that as well. But, but what do a little forecasting here. What's, what's, what's encouraging? I am a perpetual optimist, Matt. You know, it's in my nature. I can't help it. I am very hopeful. I'm also a realist. And I understand that it's going to get worse before it gets better. So progress is not linear. As much as many of us would like it to be, it's not. If you look through the ages or since the civil rights era, you know, uh, all, all, the, all the different movements, it's been more of a spiral. So it's, it, it goes forward and then it comes back, but then it goes forward again, but at another level, right? We're, we're doing things differently. Some things are the same, but we're handling them. We're trying to handle them differently, but there is repeated patterns for sure that we're still dealing with. However, so you have the summer of 2020 and then you have the pushback and we're going to round the corner like I said, it's going to get worse before it gets better, but it's part of the process. And when you understand that, you can get, you can feel less frustrated. <laughs> but what we're trying to do here is to, while we know that we're going to turn the corner and the goal is to take more people with us as we move forward, people who have felt not a part of the work, left out, we've created as communicators, unintentionally, we've created a remarginalization especially of people who hold power in our organizations, whether it's, you know, budgets, money, teams, decision-making, visibility, whatever it is. We've left them out of this work. We have to incorporate them in the, into this work because they are part of the work, because it's true, it's accurate. So we want to take more people with us. So I know that we're going to turn this corner. And we, I, what I do with organizations is lay that groundwork so when we are creating that corner, that turnaround sooner than later, but at a much more powerful level, we don't want to re-silence people who have felt the permission to be homophobic, transphobic, racist, you know, et cetera, ableist. We don't, it's not about making them go underground again, because that means they're still there. So it's more about bringing them into the work, inviting them into the work, staying curious, not allowing leaders to say, we don't want to do too much too soon. 
and, and let that be a decision. As communicators, we need to be investigative journalists as part of our job, as well as counseling. There's a lot of parts of, to our job as communicators. Oh, yeah. I understand <laughs> that. But, but we need to stay curious and engage in those conversations. So when people say, I don't want to, I, you know, this sounds too woke. And rather than taking our tail between our legs and sulking and going over here and complaining or whatever it may be, we need to go, what is woke to you? Yeah. Like engage in conversation, not to trap anybody, but to but genuine curiosity. There's a need that's trying to be expressed here that we need to listen to and learn from and take into account and fold it into the work. So that's all to say, I am seeing this and I am seeing interest. I am seeing appetite. I am seeing need in the C-suite. When I talk to, to C-suite people one-on-one in my coaching sessions, they are on board. Mm. And I don't think I've been, I've been in this work a minute so I can tell when somebody's blowing smoke, you know, and, and, and when they actually mean it or somebody who's trying to tell me what they think I want to hear, I can tell the difference. Right. And so there is a genuine interest and there's actually a desire, but the C-suite amongst themselves do not share the kind, those kinds of things with each other. They don't have these conversations unless they're facilitated. You know, it's, it's quite fascinating. So there is more of a, of a desire and an impetus, but they just need the support. They need the partnering. They need to know the truth of what's going on within their organization and the climate outside of their organization. They need people who will tell them the truth and they will eventually respect that. Maybe not immediately, but <laughs> they will eventually respect that. And they want to do the work, but they, I, there, there's a lot of misconceptions of what DEI is. And, and as I mentioned, they can feel a part of that remarginalization. And we need to repair that. We need to heal that. And I believe since language leads to behavior, communicators will lead that work. I'm very optimistic. I don't think we have an option, Matt. We have to go forward. Yeah. Thank you. It's a big responsibility, Matt, you and I'll have to help take on. So this is very, very helpful and insightful, I know, to, to me and for the rest of the folks. So, folks, we're going to put a link in the show notes to, to Kim. She's co-author of the book, The Conscious Communicator, The Fine Art of Not Saying Stupid Shit. And I think I've graduated to being able to swear at the end of this, <laughs> the end of this session. Look how far you've so, come. I think that's great. Yeah, how far I've come. <laughs> Yeah, Kim, it's really been it's really been amazing to have you join us today. Oh, what an honor! Thank you for thank you for the great questions and, and for allowing us to have this conversation for your listeners. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. If you found value in today's episode, check us out on our website, cultivatedmarketer.com. You'll also be able to subscribe to us, rate us, and leave us a comment on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple Podcasts. Spotify, and Stitcher. Remember, a garden of opportunity grows with Cultivated Marketer. Cultivated Marketer.